If you're able, would you remain standing for the reading of God's Word? I'm turning to Psalm 119, verse 153. I'm going to be reading through verse 160. <coughs> Psalm 119, verse 153. This is the Raish portion of the psalm. As you know, each one of the verses starts with the word in Hebrew with that very letter, Raish. Psalm 119, verse 153, this is the word of our Lord. Consider my affliction, deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me, revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord, revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and am disgusted because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that as we consider your role and your presence and afflictions, that you'd be present with us. Father, in a group of this size, there are many afflictions, and, but you know everyone's hearts, and we pray that you minister to them, to their hearts, as your word is proclaimed. Give me, give me uh, clear thoughts and um, the ability to minister your word to your people. We pray in Jesus' name. We all say, Amen. Please be seated. You probably noticed that in the very opening uh, words of this portion of Psalm 119 that the psalmist again is dealing with his own affliction and is crying out to God. By now you have also noticed that this is a major theme throughout the psalm. That that's really what caused the psalmist to write the psalm was the afflictions in his life. You see that present throughout all 176 verses. Uh, the person who wrote the psalm was very familiar with, the, with affliction. He was attacked from the outside because of his faith. He was attacked from within. He struggled with his faith in the midst of affliction. Throughout the psalm we see the struggle, the, the psalmist portrays to us the struggle of every follower of Jesus Christ. He, he portrays to us the struggle of every follower, every believer in Christ. Every one of us faces these things. Everyone who believes in God through Jesus Christ faces afflictions that are brought by a world that is in opposition to Christ, by Satan, who will do whatever he can to discourage those that follow Jesus Christ, and by our inner self our old nature, the leftovers of our old nature, who tries to create and push us against uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, push us to rebel against God. We all experience these things. We all have despair in our life. We all have afflictions in our lives. But as we go through afflictions, we should not despair because the Lord is present with us in those afflictions. And this stanza gives us five reasons why we should despair in the midst of affliction. These eight verses help us in five ways, explain five ways why we should not despair in the midst of affliction. The first one is 
the psalmist says, don't despair, God cares about your affliction. Secondly, don't despair, God gives life to those in affliction. Thirdly, don't despair, all of God's word is true, even in affliction. Fourthly, don't despair, God's deliverance is near to those who love his word. And fifthly, don't despair, our hope is in God's mercy love, and truth. That's what we're going to see this morning, Lord willing. So the psalmist teaches us in verse 153 that God cares about your affliction. He says in verse 153, Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Affliction is hard to bear. Uh, I think we can agree with that, that it's better a life without affliction than a life with affliction. And affliction is hard to bear even when you know that it's coming. It's hard to prepare for it. It's easy to fall into despair, or at least discouragement, when affliction comes into our lives. <coughs> but when you're there, when you're at the brink of falling into despair, when you're at the brink of being severely discouraged, brothers and sisters, please remember that God cares about your affliction. Have you ever been tempted to sing or to utter the words of the old spiritual? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Pastor Lima is a kind of a rabbit on me. He used to sing in his sermons, but I don't sing like him. But the old spiritual would say, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Have you ever been there? Are you there? Do you ever feel that way? There's really no one who understands what is that you are going through. There's nobody who is sympathetic through uh, to what you're going through. There's nobody that can understand your, you from the inside out. This kind of thinking makes the afflictions harder because you feel isolated in it. We think that there's no one who can actually properly get into our shoes and walk a mile with us because nobody knows our heart. Do you see how the psalmist begins this prayer? He says, consider my afflictions, or look on my afflictions. This is a bold prayer. He's saying, God, look at what I'm going through. Take notice of what I'm going through. Study the distress that I am in. Pay attention to me in this trial. Now, do you see what the psalmist is teaching us even in that little prayer, consider my affliction? He's teaching us that we worship a God who cares about our trials. We worship a God who can understand our afflictions, even when no one else on the face of the earth can, because our God has been in our shoes, and He knows a thing or two about affliction. And this is true not just because in His providence, He has been ruling the world for the good of his people through sunshine and rain from the very beginning, but because his own son has been down in the affliction. When his children cry out to him, consider my affliction, the father remembers a time when his son cried out to him to consider his own affliction. God hears your cry for help with the voice of his son in his ears. When you cry out, consider my afflictions. Don't think, my brothers and sisters, that God does not care about your afflictions. The psalmist is not ashamed to look into the face of God 
and ask him to look upon his afflictions, to take notice of his afflictions, to study his distress and to hear him. He knows that his God will do just that. Brothers and sisters, the loss of a belief, the loss of the belief in God's good providence over your life, even in affliction, is one of the roots of the spiritual depression and even apostasy. When people cease to believe that God is in control and God is in control with their best interest in mind, it's, it's very easy under our weight of, of affliction to just give up. But brothers and sisters, be convinced. The truth is that God cares about our affliction. The psalmist knows that, so he prays, consider, consider my affliction. Look into it. Secondly, the psalmist teaches that God is the one who gives life to those in affliction. Look at verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. In 156, Great are, you, great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. 159, consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. God is the one who gives life to those in affliction. In these three verses, we find the repeated request that God would revive the psalmist, that God would give him life. Now, this is not an unbeliever praying for eternal life. This is the believer praying that God would uh, give him life in the middle of affliction, would revive him, would, would give him a reason to, li- to live, would point him in the direction of life. The psalmist feels that his life is threatened. These afflictors, if there is such a word, uh, these tormentors, these persecutors, want to take his life, and so he turns to God, and in desperation prays not only once, not twice, but three times. Lord, they want to take my life. Lord, give me life. In other words, the psalmist is telling you, in your affliction, if you're going to have life, God must be the one to give it to you. Now, sometimes in our afflictions, we devise our own strategies for survival, and our plans don't include God. It's not that we purposefully exclude Him, but in devising our own methods to deal with afflictions, we just don't think of Him. We have our own plans about how we are going to survive that affliction, and when we do, we leave out the most important factor, And that is God is the one that gives us life. The psalmist is reminding us again and again here that if we are going to get relief in affliction, it is going to come from God. It's not going to come from yourself. It's not going to come from your plan. And it's most likely not going to come from your circumstances. God in his kindness very often changes our circumstances. But if our relief, if our relief only comes from the change of circumstance, the relief of our affliction will not last long. Because sooner or later, circumstances will change again. And we might find ourselves in affliction again. So God does something better for us than just a change of circumstances. We read this, we read this section and we see that the psalmist is desperate. And he knows that God is the only answer to his desperation. 
Look at how he emphasized this in verse in, throughout this, this passage. In verse 153, he cries out to God, considers my affliction. 153 again, deliver me. 154, plead my cause and redeem me. 154, 156, 159, revive me. He directs his cry to the Lord. The psalmist begs God to deliver him, to save him, to give him life. He's desperate, and he knows that God is the only one that can answer. And not only that he's the only one that can answer, but he's the only answer to his afflictions. What do we often think in our affliction? What is usually the number one thing that we want in our affliction? Honestly, all of us. Maybe I'm different. For me, the number one thing I want is for it to be gone. I want it gone. The answer that we need is, is, that we think we need is the end of our affliction. But the psalmist says, wrong answer. The answer is God. What we need in our afflictions is God, not the end of that affliction. The affliction may end and it may not. The affliction may get worse or it may get better. But whatever happens does not matter because God is the source of life. Whether he hears our cry through the end of an affliction or the increase of an affliction, he is the answer. And notice that he specifies the basis of God's giving his life. It says, According to your word, that's not the regular word for word. It's actually the word for promise. So when you see that in verse 1, uh, 154, revive me according to your word, could very well be the word promise in English there. So the, he specifies the basis of God's giving life according to your promise, according to your judgments, or according to your word. According to your loving kindness, there's that amazing word that we've looked before, his covenant faithness, his covenant love. The psalmist is teaching us that life comes from God's promise, from God's word, from God's covenant life, love. And none of these is dependent upon our circumstances. Do you get that? God's promises, God's word, his truth, and his love are not dependent upon our circumstances. They're only dependent upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. These are always true regardless of our circumstances. So God is present in our affliction. God gives you life in your affliction. All of God's word is true in your affliction. Look at verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The psalmist is telling us at the end of this stanza that he is ready to bet his life on the truthfulness of God's word. He's saying, I am surrounded by tormentors and persecutors that want to take my life, but I am betting my life on the truthfulness of God's word, and I believe that it can be trusted comprehensively. The psalmist has been saying this all along, over and over in the psalm, he says that. The psalm is saying, Lord, the place of my trust is in your word. And he sums that all up here in verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Do you realize what he's saying here? 
All of the word is true. All of the Bible is true. That's what the first part of that statement is. But then he says, and all the parts in between are also true. Not only the whole Bible is true. That's the, based on what's called in theology, the plenary inspiration of the scriptures. But also every last part of it is true as well. That's the verbal inspiration of the scriptures. Everything is true in His Word. In other words, God's Word is comprehensively, extensively, completely true. It can be trusted. When God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, it can be trusted. When God says, I cause all things to work together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose, it can be trusted. God, God's Word is true. And the psalmist is ready to stake his life on his compre- comprehensiveness, comprehensive truthfulness. He finds encouragement in the midst of affliction in the fact that God's word is true in all its aspects. As you face affliction, God's word is true. And that's, you know, you know how sometimes when everything is going good, you know, we think, oh man, God really loves me. And we tend to judge God's love by the newspaper, as it were, or by our Instagram feed, or by uh, likes on social media, or whatever it is. And when things are going well, then God, and then when things are going bad, somehow, now God doesn't love us anymore. And yet, the word of God says that His love for us is eternal. And that He's given us life, and life more abundantly. And that it doesn't change whether in the midst of dark, dark affliction or on a, having a mountaintop experience. The same Jesus that was yesterday in our affliction is today in our mountaintop and is going to be tomorrow in the bottom of the pit. Even when we're stuck in the mire, in the bottom of the miry pit, in darkness, covered in mud, He's still there. And He promises to bring us out of that miry pit and to put us upon a rock. And to give us a new song to sing for His glory. All of God's word is true, even in affliction. And fourthly, God's salvation is near to those who love His word. In the midst of affliction, remember that God's salvation is near to those who love His word. Look at verse 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. And then 159, consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your Loving kindness. Throughout the psalm, the psalmist has been saying how he seeks the Lord's word, but the wicked don't. The principle here is that salvation or deliverance is far from those who do not love God's word, and it is near to those who do. God's word is true, God's word is trustworthy, and is the comfort of his people in affliction. It it, it is those who mock his word who do not believe in His Word, who veer from His Word, who neglect His Word, who do not seek His Word, who do not obey His Word that find themselves salvationless or deliverance-less in affliction. The psalmist puts a bold contrast out there for us between the two results. Now, this doesn't mean that someone who rejects the Word of God never feels relief in times of affliction. Uh, we'll be lying if 
to say that the unbeliever does not feel good at times, that, that does not have a fun life, that does not have pleasure in life, does not experience relief in times of affliction. It doesn't mean that those who reject God's word live a miserable life either. It does mean, however, that they, that they do not have any sort of eternal deliverance in their lives. It also means that they do not honor God in any deliverance they experience. It also means that invariably there will be an element of self-centeredness in whatever deliverance they find. But for those who love the Word of God, God delivers them through that Word. And lastly, our fundamental hope is in God's mercy, God's love, and God's truth. Look at 156. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Then 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Some of your translations will have steadfast love. Now, if you have a translation with steadfast love, would you raise your hand on that? So that means you guys are reading the ESV, probably. Some of it was going to have just uh, God's love or God's mercy. This word is so big. Hesed. That all these things are true because God is true to himself and his covenant promises to you. And this word includes all, all of that. And then in verse 160, it says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. It is possible to read this psalm, the entirety of the psalm, and get a slight misimpression as to what the psalmist is saying. When he says, consider my affliction, deliver me, for I do not forget your law, it sounds like, well, I'm a good person, Lord, help me. I'm a good person, I don't forget your law, now you need to help me. Or, when you read in verse 156, revive me according to your judgment, sounds like, I keep the rules, Lord, give me life. Now this could seem like the legalist evening prayer, or the moralist morning meditation. I am a good person, Lord, answer my prayers. But this psalm actually reveals the opposite. It reveals what the, what the fundamental hope of the psalmist is, and it's not in himself. He says in 156, Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. In 159, Revive me according to your covenant love. 160, The entirety of your word is truth. In these three phrases, brothers and sisters, you have just encountered the trifold fundamental hope of the psalmist. The psalmist's fundamental hope is in God's mercy, God's love, and God's truth as he goes through Affliction About God's truth, the psalmist says, Lord, I'm afflicted. I'm surrounded by people who want to do me in. So let me tell you where my hope is. My hope is not that I am a good person, though I do love your word. That doesn't get me any brownie points. It just gets me the, the one thing that I can hold on to this life, your word, because it's true. About God's mercy, the psalmist says, And I can count on your mercy, Lord, I need your mercy. And in affliction, I depend on your mercy. And about God's covenant love, he says, I know, Lord, that you can give me life with your steadfast love, your covenant love, your loving kindness. So that is 
what I am trusting, Lord, in affliction. I'm trusting in your mercy, in your love, and your truth. And concerning his word, the psalmist says, All my hope is on who you are, Lord. You are merciful, you are loving, and you are true. And I'm ready to stake my life on that. I'm ready to hang all my hope on that. I'm ready to keep on believing through this affliction because of who you are, O Lord. Our fundamental hope is not that our circumstances will change and afflictions will be gone. Our fundamental hope is that God is in the God who is merciful, who is loving, and who is true. That is where our hope is. So this psalm is helping you, helping me, through affliction from God's word. He, he tells us about a God who cares about our affliction. He tells us about a God who can give us life even our, in our affliction. He tells us about a God whose word is true. He tells us about a God who is very near to those who believe that word. And he tells us about a, the God who is the source of hope, even and especially for the afflicted, because he's merciful, he's loving, and he's true. And we see the epitome of that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know that do you want to know that this God that I just described to you is the God of the Bible? Look at his love revealed to you in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we read about in our responsive reading this morning. The love of God for us in Christ is a love that cannot be destroyed and nothing can separate us from that. In our afflictions, that's what we grab onto. This is our hope. That's our only hope in life and in death, that the Lord Jesus is our Savior. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you comfort the afflicted. We pray that you strengthen us. We thank you that we can have hope in you and that you're present with us in our afflictions. We pray that the words uttered here this morning would sink deep into our hearts and that we would look to you in our afflictions. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.